0: Hi, I'm Kate. And I'm Simran. Welcome to Women Who. Women Who is a podcast of conversations with women who challenge the status quo.
1: I'm so excited for today's conversation.
0: You're excited. I'm excited.
1: I have worked with her for many years now and uh, anyways, okay. Okay. Let's get it started. Our guest today, Marem Touré. Uh, Marem describes herself as third culture kid to the core. She's harnessed a sensitivity to culture and differences throughout uh, her mixed heritage, upbringing, and frequent moves as a child. You know we're going to ask where all the moves were. She understands uh, that people's unique abilities and perspectives are what propels companies in a globalized context. Definitely a power, a superpower of hers that she's harnessed here at Densu. But also interestingly, Marem um, has her master's thesis on integration of immigrants in the Quebec labor market. She's partnered with community organizations for talent choices. We're developing pay equity analysis services for SMEs to adjust gender inequalities. And as an HR business partner earlier in her career, Rem's always, at her core, sought for equity. And now we are so excited because she is officially, well, she has been for a few years now, our VP of diversity, equity, and inclusion at Densu Canada. Moram, welcome. Hi, thank you. What an intro. <laughs> I mean, it, that's not it, even that's not even half of it.
0: <laughs> Isn't it. So much fun having your bio read out to you. It's like a cringy moment, but it's also like, yeah,
1: that's me. Yeah,
0: I was like, did I do all of that? Yeah, okay. (laughs) I did that. We're so happy to have you with us today, Marim. Thank you for joining. Thank thank you. Thank you for having me. We always like to kick off our conversations with the bio, but then we want to give it to you in your voice in this moment, help help ground the audience. And we just love to hear from your perspective. What has been your journey bringing you to this point? In your career, or how did you get here? Everyone's intrigued. We all want to know. So we'll hand it over to you, and you, if you want tell us a bit about your story.
2: Thank you. Um, I always get a little overwhelmed when people ask me how did you get here, and I'm just like, I don't know. <laughs> my, uh, I guess my my trajectory hasn't really been linear in any sense, and um, you know, I think. What brought me to this point, or parts of it at least, is my lived experience. So, as Kate mentioned, I did grow up in you know a family of mixed cultures. I traveled around quite a bit as a kid, um, and you know until I was eighteen, um, never really lived in a place for longer than five years. Um, Kate wanted to know where where those places were. I was born in Senegal, but never lived there. I moved um, directly to Ivory Coast. From Ivory Coast, we moved to uh, Morocco. Then we did Washington DC, or Maryland to be exact. Went back to Ivory Coast for a short nine-month stint. Came back to Africa, where um you know went back to the us sorry um where i then lived in uh new york and when i say new york people always think like manhattan no i lived in westchester new york (laughs) which was very um you know we were definitely the only black family in my neighborhood um and we'll get to that later but I think, you know, um, in in essence, I was very privileged to get to move around and experience all of these different different cultures, but it also came with, you know, its share of difficulties. I never really got to call any place home. Um, I always felt very othered. Um, I was always, like I said, the only Black African kid in some of my classes in the U.S. um, and the neighborhoods that I lived. And then... Even going back to Africa, though it gave me a lot of you know, self-assurance and confidence of seeing people that looked more like me in general, the spaces that I was in, the fact that I was privileged enough to go to um, uh, private schools or international schools, it still meant that not a lot of the local population was there. And so there was still that sense of being different. Um, but then international schools are also what kind of introduced me to so many different people, cultures, etc. Uh, I mean, literally my best friends from high school are Swedish, Korean, British, like, you know, we are a walking poster for, for diversity. So that's kind of from my lived experience. And then as mentioned, mentioned in terms of my academic and, and professional backgrounds, I think, you know, I came to, I came to Canada, uh, to study and I came to study psychology and my dad being, yeah, my dad was not that impressed. He was just like, my dad's this very modern yet very African man. And he was just like, what are you going to do with that? Um, Please, please minor in business. And so, and so I did. And that's how I kind of fell upon HR. I minored in business. I had a, an organizational behavioral, behavioral behavior class and um, I loved it. And I was like, oh, this is this seems like this kind of perfect mix of both. And so um, I ended up going into HR, did my master's, started to work. And so throughout my working experience, I was working at the time as a consultant uh, for a company who outsourced uh, HR services to smaller, uh, to medium companies. And so what was really interesting is that for these companies who didn't have internal HR functions, we, we used to do that. And so I did anything from like placement to making sure that we were putting together the right HR structures for these companies. And a lot of what I saw was people specifically immigrants who were coming and restarting a lot of their lives in Canada, and working in very precarious situations, mm-hmm. um, I when I was doing placement, I used to hear comments all the time around, "Oh, um, this person has an accent." I'm not sure that we are going to be uh, able to have them start with us. And so, all of these inequities and and looking at people who you know were engineers, doctors, you know had legal degrees, and were coming back and starting over here in Canada and had mediocre working conditions. Um, you know, that made me start to think. And so as I was doing my my master's degree at the same time, I decided to focus on the integration of immigrants, uh, specifically in the Quebec workforce. And um, the idea of, you know, uh, people not being able to use all of their skills and how they're often um, overqualified for a lot of their positions. Um, And so it's kind of where I started to be very focused in, in that. And then in my career, as well, as you mentioned, Kate, earlier, Um, A lot of the work that I ended up doing just naturally went towards seeking equity. And that's just kind of how I ended up in this space.
0: You know, just casual. (laughs) Just just moved around the world and then pursued higher education and now are helping to solve some of the world's greatest people challenges.
1: (laughs) <laughs> no and like even the the places that you've jumped from from moving I mean talk about culture shock but also like weather shock were you prepared for the snow Moran like I kn- I know you live in Montreal now but
2: so I was not I I came so I came to the US when I was 10 and I had never seen the snow I had never experienced any of that. And so when I got here and I still remember my first snow, I was like, wow, it's so magical. <laughs> I used to love it. And now I'm just like I can't deal with it. And, snow and now you're like, again, why does it keep going back?
1: I thought it, it was never a long stops.
0: Time.
1: <laughs> it never and stops. Yeah, especially you know. in Montreal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wow. So now, so now your focus,
0: you know, career-wise, professionally, is DEI—diversity, equity, and inclusion—and I kind of wanted to delve into that. It's the it's the first time we're really exploring this topic, this subject matter. Obviously, it's also become it's kind of taken on a bit of a trend-like connotation over the last few years both fortunately and unfortunately, right? I feel like there's a bit of a push and pull. Would love like your perspective when, when you're asked, well, like what, what is DEI? How do we define it? You know, how do you describe it to people? And then we can sort of maybe get into, you know, where do you see there to be opportunity for us to like continue to improve or where we're getting it wrong. But just to ground us first, like what, how do you define DE I from a professional lens for people that you talk to every day?
2: Um, So I think very simply put, for me, DI is a function that's meant to enable people to feel like they belong. So if we look at it holistically, um, it really builds on the legacy of social justice and civil rights movements, but it's specifically aimed to create uh, organizations where, where people can come to work, feel psychologically safe, feel represented, where they can really be themselves and do their best work. And then when we think about equity, it's really a means to get to inclusion. So, this is where, I mean, in the equity space, is really where we review processes and policies from a systemic approach um, to ensure that we get to inclusion. Ultimately, it's about valuing people's unique contributions um, to the business, which then ripples into the work that we do. And I know we always really talk about how DEI is about changing hearts and minds of people, but it's also about disrupting systems, structures, and policies that are already existing. And then if we think about, you know, our industry specifically for advertising and and marketing, Mm -hmm. it really results in um, innovation and creativity and representation. And uh, yeah, that's, that's, I think that's how I would define
0: it. I was going to say, like, I think, and this is this is like my perspective, potentially ignorant. So I love that you're here. So please, please, please correct and lead it to educating me. But I it feel like a lot of the rhetoric around DEI, just in how we talk about it in the marketplace, whether it's a better industry or not, has become so heavily focused on like the metrics and the KPIs mm-hmm. and num- mm-hmm. number of people that fit into, you know, different segments. And And I'm absolutely... Not saying that that isn't important. Do you think that starts to like overshadow what you were just describing, where it's like it's about more than that? It's about the long term change that we can affect. And I feel sometimes that gets lost in the narrative. And and I wonder does that make it harder for people that are, you know, in roles similar to yours to like be able to focus on the long term impact versus just like the short term, you know, metric of checking the box, if you will?
2: Yeah. I, I think you're totally right. I think a lot of the focus has been around the D and DI, so diversity. Mm-hmm. It's been yeah. about kind of, um, oh, we don't have any enough people of this or that community. Let's get them in. It's been about quotas and checking the box. And so um, at the end of the day, although I think for a while the function was not focused enough on KPIs and metrics, I think it's become kind of that. the 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 one thing that we keep looking at and so it does make it harder to to take a step back and think about hey that's not the only thing that we should be looking at represent i think you know in in essence yes diversity is very important it's it's important to get that diversity in the door but ultimately we need to think about how we're sustaining it and so that really comes back to those structures and those processes and um because, you know, we can get as many people in the door and like professional levels, but you start to look at what your organizations are looking like, where there is no one from diverse backgrounds in leadership. That's where you start to think, see that just looking at diversity is not working.
1: So, I mean, within that, where I'm like that very thoughtful response, I think you raised a lot of really relevant points that studies are now seeing too, right? Like, even if, uh, I know Simran and I are really big fans of the annual McKinsey study, Women in the Workplace. Uh, It's fresh in my mind because it was just released, but to your point, it seems like for a lot of industries and organizations, they leaned in so heavy to diversity, right? And it was looking at I hate to use the word but it 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 felt very like heavily quota, right? Like mm-hmm. how wha- what's our what's our gender makeup? How many individuals do we have from a variety of communities? And interestingly enough, what the report the 2022 version is sort of showing is that a lot of women in particular, not only women of color, are now sort of quietly quitting. Yeah. And leaving. And, and to your point and, and to your response, I have to wonder if it's because there's still these organizations are starting and, and bravo for starting, but they really need to sort of then look at how are we coaching and promoting and what are the processes in place that are holding all of these people back?
2: Absolutely. I mean, um, so I just also, st- <laughs> I recently, st- started and haven't even finished the the McKinsey report and i think you know the idea of quiet quitting the fact that we're now in an age i think they're calling it the great breakup where Mm -hmm. women are leaving the workplace at higher rates than um anyone else and that's compounded when you're a woman of color and more specifically i think with the with the report was finding that black women faced that the most challenge actually I think that says a lot. It says that we still haven't really tackled the the processes if if people are still not finding their kind of psychological safety at, at, at work. Um so I think that's that's what it is, Kate. Especially for women and women of color.
1: Yeah, no, it's it's really interesting. And I think a lot of people their first sort of take on it was, oh, okay, well, they're just leaving work. And it's like, well, n- well, no, they're leaving you. Mm-hmm. They're they're choosing to go to other organizations who are doing it right, going to other industries that are more fair and equitable and flexible, or they're just starting their own things, which I love that the most because mm-hmm. that's like the ultimate table yes. flip uh, moment yeah. uh, for me. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I think the report was actually saying how Specifically, again, Black women were the biggest uh, contributors to, um, to entrepreneurship in the US, at least. And so that really spoke to the fact that they weren't finding their spaces and their places in the workplace and need to, to start it for themselves to find, you know, their space. That's really interesting.
1: No, it is because, I mean, the one overarching theme, at least that I took away too, was that there is this theme, and, and you just hinted to it, of ambition, right? Of current female leaders who are still, they have that ambition of these younger women coming up who are so ambitious too. And so, mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's unfortunate that these companies, these organizations just couldn't get it right uh, because it's a big loss for them. Yeah. Okay, so aside, aside from sort of that... Any other significant changes that you think have that you've seen have have transpired, or even that we're sort of currently witnessing? I think
2: so. I I took on this role in in 2020, and you know, I think simran um, hinted at it. Like, DI was kind of the, it was the thing. It was the it girl, as I like to say. Mm-hmm. And so, <laughs> um, what we've what we've seen, um, what we've seen. Happen, and I think maybe specifically I, I can I can speak for um, for Dentsu Canada is that we um, in that time we really tried to create an environment uh, for honest conversation. I think specifically when it came to uh, race, which was not at the top of DI conversations before. Um, and so we created spaces, um, we, we saw that translated into our hiring practices, we saw an increase of folks coming in um, from diverse backgrounds, and we now really are able to have those conversations. I think we're, we're better partners to our clients uh, because of it, because we have built that cultural fluency. But now we really need to sustain those efforts and make sure that it's reflected, you know, throughout the organization at every level. Um, I think what we're currently witnessing is a change of context, difficult economic factors, various political and legal contexts, uh, and heightened focus in other areas. And so what we'll need to do to maintain that focus on DEI despite it all um, is going to be kind of where the focus is because what we want to make sure of is that DEI is in a position to be um, I guess deliberate and not reactionary in the next moment of crisis Um, and so I think that's where we need to keep investing um, and we need to keep building and we need to keep disrupting those
0: systems thank you for sharing that I want to pivot just slightly and ask how do you manage the the labor that's involved in in doing this type of work every day I can I'm I'm gonna make an inference and hopefully it's not overstepping and if you're not comfortable feel free to say pause but I can only imagine that you've also in your career encountered a number of microaggressions potentially setbacks, likely worse, but I I won't, I won't assume. And now you're, you're in a role and in a discipline that needs more people, more power, more, you know, smart individuals to get behind. But I imagine there's also a significant amount of labor emotionally, mentally that goes along with it. Like, do you mind sharing what it's like? Cause you, you've shared the pragmatic, strategic, rational aspect. Mm -hmm. I think I'd love to get into, you know, what's, what's it like being in the role? and having the accountability to, you know, work towards delivering that long-term change for people?
2: Um, So I'm not going to lie. It's not an easy role to to have. I think what I try Mm -hmm. to always, the way that I try to ground myself and to come back to it is that I don't think it's my responsibility to drive all of the change for DEI. I think it's everybody's responsibility so any efforts any movements any progress that we make is is because and it's most most of the time it's because a group of people came together and actually acted to drive that progress and so i i i take the accountability but not the entire um onus on my person i think being a woman of color being uh very often an other or a double other, um, mm. I've experienced, you know, I've experienced microaggressions. They're, they are real. Um, I have been, you know, forgotten in meetings. I've had to constantly prove my place of worth. Mm. Um, I think, you know, constantly having to decipher double meanings, it really does prove to be exhausting at time. And then you kind of compound that all with um, kind of the state of the world and things always happening. Um, the mental the mental tax is definitely um, real, uh, but I guess the way that I, I deal with it is through, um, and the most helpful thing for me has been to have really good mentors and spaces where I can re-energize Um, and so those have been really helpful in terms of kind of making sure that I don't, um, hold on to that, you know, sometimes that imposter syndrome, Mm -hmm. um, I've had to learn over time to advocate for myself, which is also not something that's a given when you are a woman or a woman of color, um, you kind of come from that. I, I don't know. There's a mindset that comes with it where you're just like, Hey, Um, I'm just I'm really lucky just to be here as a woman of color so how like you know let me just be grateful for what it is that I have Um, and so there comes a point where you need to start to develop um, those abilities to kind of advocate for yourself and get comfortable with your own greatness I guess.
0: Get comfortable with your own greatness. Kate you gotta write that one down. Yeah,
1: right.
0: I am yeah. that. Um, <laughs> you said something in addition to that, Marem, where it's it really stuck with me because I read an article about it the other day that how the ways in which gratitude can be exhausting, and it stuck with me. Like there's again, there's like this overplay of, of gratitude, just like generally in society right now, gratitude practices, etc. But I completely relate to what you just described as a woman of color of just feeling like I need to be perpetually grateful. For the opportunity, for the moment, for the quote unquote seat at the table, and I've also recently like come into a shift of my own mindset where it's like I no longer feel the pressure to consistently express gratitude as if this mm-hmm. is, this has just been like a total luck of the draw and I haven't had any you know contribute contribution to the work that I've done, but it's. It's it's wild when I could actually like assess it, the ways in which it was just like an unconscious thing that I was doing because I feel expected to, and that's not, and that's not even in a role like yours where that's there's this I'm sure there's this other layer involved in how you show up on a regular basis and sort of needing to I think create probably some separation between you know your the emotional labor and then like the. Mm-hmm the professional labor, if that's like the right connotation, I, it's, I love what you just said though, that gratitude can be exhausting. I have definitely felt it can. A lot of that in my career.
2: And, and it feels sometimes very contrary to, you know, I'm grateful instead of I'm deserving.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. it's like, there's, there's, there's this other side of the equation too, which I think is very relevant to the DEI conversation where, again, it sort of consistently feels like there's the onus is on the marginalized people. It's been consistently put on marginalized people to Mm -hmm. accommodate, assimilate, whatever it is, just be um, a better fit for the environment that they're in. And therefore it's almost like a pass is given to the relative majority in whatever situation. And it's like... I'm buoyed a little bit at starting to see this shift happen where we now have the language to say it's unacceptable to put the onus on the marginalized person um, unless they're actively accepting that additional labor. Absolutely, The labor needs to shift to the majority. And now there's this sort of education and like um, – I don't know, rehabilitation that's happening in their behaviors and their habits. It's like, I love to hear your perspective. On this. It's weird for me to witness it in the moment as it's happening and also have enough grace to be like, right, I still need to give a, mm-hmm. like, need to give a little bit here because they're doing things that they've never been asked to do and yet I'm yeah. sort of irritated at the yeah. same time. It's it's a <laughs> challenging situation to in.
2: I, I think someone, you and I probably are both like, yeah, that's not that's not new. This has been going on for years. We've, I mean, but I, I do, I think that there is, I really, I am a strong believer and this is my approach and calling people in and not calling people out. And so I think that there's, I always like to see someone who's starting on their journey. Um, And so I try to be very graceful in terms of, you know, Seeing where they are, but I do sometimes also chuckle at the fact that it's like, okay, it's been happening. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> where have yeah. you been? The silent eye roll. It's like I mm-hmm. I wanted to roll my eyes, but I um, yeah. <laughs> and it didn't. Yeah, it's like, it's one of my things. I don't have a great gratitude practice anymore. I have like a graceful practice where I'm just like, "Is we're gonna we're gonna practice some grace today because we're, <laughs> we're loving everyone's evolution." And then at the end of the day, I'm going to call someone and I'm going to complain about what happened. but I'm going to practice my grace. Yes,
2: I'm going to start to do that graceful <laughs> practice. I <laughs> love it.
0: Not not too much, just just enough. Just, just enough. enough.
1: Yeah. Sometimes I find in those situations, I yeah, because you want to do the exaggerated eye roll, but uh, I do the uncomfortable silence with the smile. Mm. And it just sort of reiterates the like to your point sometimes, Marim, it's like where where have you been?
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like that K. Okay. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. But also like there's just this um, well, I guess what's often referred to as the changing of the guard. And what's what's been sort of hard for me is acknowledging that we're in it as it's happening, and that makes it sometimes harder to I don't know, bear witness and accept that however small the change, it's still changed in the right direction. Mm -hmm. And I'm also just Mm -hmm. reacting at the time this is being recorded, you know, elections happening in the U S and you're, you were seeing, you know, specific reactions. Um, you know, all of us are Canadian based, but you know, it's not lost on us that what happens there uh, directly affects us. Mm
2: -hmm. And Mm
0: -hmm. the first, um, person of color that's from generation generation Z was elected um, mm-hmm. a couple of days ago and their platform is all about equity and representation and women's health and rights for LGBTQ and just to see that moment which is it's one of a sea of a hundred thousand problems was and I it filled me with a lot of joy to be like yeah. that 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 domino is a direct reaction result of like all the work that people have been putting in for decades to be able to get to this point. But it's also equally as hard to be like, yeah, and not get into the mindset of like, well, yeah, but it's just one person. How much change could they have? And I have to consistently remind myself, it's like actually a lot, a lot of change. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I think I mean, there's a say, saying, uh, it's pretty cliche, but, you know, it's a, it's a marathon, not a race. But it's really something that I, I need to tell myself repeatedly when doing this work is that, you know, sometimes there's so many obstacles, there's so many challenges. Um, it's really, really important to take a step back, look at the progress that was made and to kind of celebrate a little bit. Um, from time to time, because otherwise it could be, um, it can be depressing, because it's the work of, you know, a lifetime and, and generations. And, you know, the progress that we're making really comes from what other generations have done before.
0: How did you, like, what was the impetus outside of what you were doing academically that led you, you know, down this career path? Or was there anything sort of And I guess what I'm getting at is, is there, is there a personal, I'm assuming there's a personal drive, but we'd love for you to talk about, was there a personal drive in addition to what you discovered academically that has charged you in this direction to take on this lifetime journey? Um, I really don't, I think that it was from a,
2: if I think about it personally, I think it was that, that, that feeling of never really, Feeling myself like I belonged anywhere, and and knowing mm-hmm. intimately what that feels like, I think that's what what's brought me to wanting to make sure that other folks, whether it's you know at work or anywhere else, really um, feel like they have their space and their place. And I I, I think it's just it comes from my lived experience.
1: Because mm. I mean, you are so authentic in it too, moram and like even when you when you said I you do live by that model of calling people in and not out. And it almost feels like it's, it's such a simple saying and concept. And it's like, even thinking about the election, Simran, and the, the fact that, wait, like, it, it, I just wish more people had that idea, right? Because they oftentimes they're like, well, if so-and-so gets something, then I can't. And it's like, well, no, that's not fundamentally what we're saying. It's that everyone can. Like, why can't everyone come in? Yeah. And have access yeah. to all of that. Yeah. So it's it's interesting.
0: Yeah, it's not a trade. And I this I think no. the the mindset of that has has lasted. It's been far too pervasive. And that it's human rights equity include this these are not they're, they're not scarcity models <laughs> they they can exist and should exist for everyone um and it's i i think it's 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 beautiful to, again to see like the change transpire but it's when we look at reports like women in the workplace or others it's also still a stark reality of this is we're we're far very very far from "Quote unquote," over whatever that looks like or whenever that happens, um, and unfortunately, it's still predominantly women of color that are experiencing yeah. the brunt of the microaggressions of, you know, mental health issues. And like, it's what's fascinating is they're they're also the ones that are consistently raising their hands saying, "I still want to participate and be part of the change," in in spite of you know all of the issues that they might encounter at work that have a negative impact on their own health and performance, they still find the resolve to show up. And yeah, like that, I mean, that's like, the part that it's just like, it, well, it, it makes me, it gives me hope, but it's also really difficult to absorb what's the negative parts of what's still happening, right?
1: yeah I mean, within that study, they gave three like macro reason why women leaders are switching jobs. and the second one was women leaders are overworked and underrecognized. They do more to support employee well-being and foster yeah. d e i yeah, and forty yeah. percent of that forty yeah. percent. we're all nodding our heads by the way, you can't
0: we all read that part and we're just like that part <laughs> <laughs> highlight, <laughs> like, highlight, highlight, yeah. yes, yeah. yes, yeah. yeah.
1: Forty yeah. percent of women said their DEI work isn't recognized because, and, well, and like you
0: just said, Marim, it is not. It's not a single person or a single team. It needs to be a collective effort, and it is amongst a community predominantly defined as women of color, and you know, that yeah. that community is like all right, we're, we're showing up. What about everybody else? Where are you? Especially yeah. like the, the leadership that has like the resonant power to make the change, but not necessarily has a DEI role or a DEI mandate. And that's where it starts to fall apart at, at many companies.
1: I think,
2: you know, something that you said, Simran, you said, it's not a trade and I was thinking about it. And I was thinking of the fact that for a lot of for a lot of folks it's about privilege and privilege that they've been benefiting from for yeah. a while. And so there there is kind of an idea of it, it may not be a trade, but it's giving up some of that privilege to make sure that other others are benefiting from it as well. And I think there is
0: That's a great point. People are scared. Yeah. Privilege is a hard one. I feel like I struggle a lot in describing or defining to people that have privilege what privilege is and I wonder too if it's if it's it's exactly what you're what you're touching on here and it's not that they don't understand it it's that it potentially sort of uncovers this discomfort
1: Mm -hmm.
0: of a you know horrendous past but also this this now need to give up something that they're they've never had to before
1: yeah Oh, it's real interesting. We could chat and chat and chat
0: I mean the like the uh, the quote unquote easiest thing to define it against at work is through microaggressions the the I think the larger part of the inception of a microaggression is based around a community that has resonant access to privilege that and also doesn't need to understand or acknowledge that they have privilege. The way that like it, it comes out in a negative form is often through microaggression. That's be- been my experience, mm-hmm. right? Where it's a community of individuals that um, don't need to be self-aware to a degree about their the limitations that are placed on them, where it's like, I know, and I I think all of us will agree that I'm I'm always hyper-aware, even today, even at this point in my career, which I think some people are like, still? I'm like, yeah, still. I'm hyper-aware of the fact that I might be the only woman or a woman of color in the room or on a leadership team, and <laughs> it can be and still is jarring because part of me knows I will never lose that level of awareness. It is, it is embedded in me. And that, that's a, that's a trade off of someone else's privilege.
2: Yeah. And the way that it's embedded in you is almost, you know, it, it, it can be crippling. It's, it's something that you'll never shake. It's something that's, you know, it's challenging and it's a barrier and it's, yeah. it's definitely not privilege.
0: Yeah. And it has been crippling. I've talked about it before, which it, it's, is hard to discuss because I'm, I'm also, and most people perceive a very confident person and that's how I present myself. And yet behind the mask that I show the world is a hundred percent, you know, a woman that's had to go through a lot of self-reflection and battling of sort of insecurities and value Mm -hmm. and like feeling worthy. And now it's like just part of this discipline and the work that you're doing so many people are doing. It's. It's it's it just makes me feel a little bit lighter that now I can have a different type of conversation with a person of privilege um, and I can carry labor and have it maybe be productive for the first time in my life. If that makes sense. yeah, That makes total sense to me. Oh, again, some deep moments here. I like it. <laughs> I swear this podcast is like cuts my therapy bill in half. I'm not going to lie. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I said the same thing to Sermon in the last one. Maram, we, uh, our last episode, um, we were talking about boundaries in particular at work. And I I left it thinking I was like, oh, I am good for the week. That was just the conversation <laughs> I needed. <laughs> But I I, and I mean, that. this goes back to to what you said before too around having mentors and sponsors and safe spaces. I know, like Simran is a safe space for me. You're a safe space for me, and that is so important, uh, especially for um, for women in work because there are all of those microaggressions I know so many times. I mean, I've, I've done it recently to both of you where something has happened. And then you think like, because you go through the steps of it, right? Like, Ooh, that didn't feel good Mm -hmm. is always the initial. Mm -hmm. And then you go to the, Oh, well, I'm just, I'm grateful to be here. So I Mm -hmm. I shouldn't say anything because I shouldn't rock the boat. And I don't want to make I don't want to make them feel uncomfortable. What? Mm-hmm. But I can be. Anyway, so it's just, it's, yes, doubling down on the importance of of having those people that you can go to who tell you, like, no, that that wouldn't land well with me either.
2: It's like, no, we've experienced that. We know how that feels. Um, and I think it's also the importance of some of the um, the communities that we build, Um even in the workplace. I mean, I think about the BRGs. A lot of those are those spaces where people come and are able to express themselves in like a space that feels safe and where it's like, hey, this happened. How like I don't feel right. And getting the perception of people who've also had those experiences, I think it's crucial. It's how you build um, psychological safety at work, I think.
1: Yeah. And, and, and it's almost, I feel like maybe a great way. And now taking that fantastic quotable quote you gave us from getting comfortable with your own greatness, right? Because when you have these conversations and you realize that, oh no, that wasn't, that wasn't a great experience. And I, I do, I deserve to be here. I've earned this. Um, so yeah, thank you for that. Okay. So before we get into our rapid fire, we do want to sort of like look, look off into the distance future. Is there a DEI North Star? Like what, what would be, what is yours? Are we on the right track? Are we going to get there in our lifetimes?
2: That's a really, really hard question. <laughs> I think if I had the answer to this question, I don't know. I'd be like, I don't know. Um, I don't have the the answer, but I do think that there's a couple of words that I think, or that come to mind when I think about a north star. I think um, horizontality, which probably isn't a word, but um, you'll 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 get what I mean. It's uh, it's about making sure that the ownership is divided throughout the organization, and so making sure that it's really embedded into every function, into everything that everyone does. Um, Di has to become part of everyone's normal. Um, and then I think the other one is intersectionality. Um, so coming back to the um, the idea of uh, the horizontality, I think the fact that Having like what we've been doing at to having someone lead, leading DI in different mm-hmm. departments, making sure that it's really embedded in, in there is definitely um, part of what we need to continue doing. Um, in terms of intersectionality, um, I think we need to continue to think about the fact that we are whole beings and we need to look at things such as systems like that. I mean, I'm a cisgendered Black woman. I'm also uh, a mother. I'm a spouse. Um, and so I can't be looking at the different systems in which I am in in silos. And so mm-hmm. trying to really tackle the multiple systems of whether they be oppression, um, just so that we're able to empower um those who are marginalized. I think ultimately what we need to do is to continue building um, a strong foundation and that'll lead us to where we need to get. That's what I have so far.
0: That's all. Okay. Um, I think that's a pretty good <laughs> sounding <North> star. <laughs> sign,
1: sign me up. I am on board. All right, Maram. It's our favorite part of the episode. Rapid fire. We're going to hit you with five hard-hitting, thought-provoking questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. Favorite time of the day?
2: Evening or night. I don't know. Between 8, 3, and 11 when my son's asleep and I get to just be
1: me. <laughs> You're just like Simran. She's such a night hawk too.
0: I am. I don't like the mornings. (laughs) Or the mornings don't like me. I'm not sure which one it is, to be honest.
2: I don't have a choice. I have a kid. He wakes me up early in the morning. Yeah, I
0: respect (laughs) that.
2: You you have to. I'd I'd rather be sleeping.
1: Okay. Window or aisle seat? I used to be an aisle person, but I'm a window now. It just, I changed. Wow. I think These you're the good. first, you're the first person who has said like, you know, I've, I've switched.
0: That's true. You are. the have, yeah, We've not had anyone say that before.
1: I used to like the aisle to be able
2: to move around and, you know, I have a small bladder, so
0: <laughs> TMI,
2: but, um, but then the window is just where it's at for sleeping and, you know, looking at what, what, it, what is out there. So
1: that's why. Love it. <laughs> Love it. Okay. Next one. It's Saturday morning at 10 a.m. We'll find you.
2: At the gym. Um, I love starting my Saturday morning at the gym. I have this great, like, workout community. I like to get my, like, circuit training on. And that's the time where my partner brings my son to swim class. So it's really my time.
1: Yeah. Oh, love that. Nice. Also, love swim lessons. Mm-hmm. Uh, best compliment you've ever received
2: it's a it's a really good one um and it was given to me pretty recently someone told me that i was the perfect combination of grace and grit and i thought that was really nice
1: Hmm. that
0: was nice i like that
1: yeah that's a fantastic compliment okay last question this is one of our favorites what song can you listen to on repeat?
2: Oh my God, that's such a hard one. Uh, but I will say just the entire album of the mes- Miseducation of Lauren Hill on repeat. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Just the one best. of my all-time favorite albums, Marim. All-time favorite albums. I love you know it. what?
1: I think I'm going to listen to that on my walk to the office this afternoon. And, oh, yeah. that entire album.
2: Every single song, right?
0: It Everyone. never gets old. It's in. It's timeless. it's timeless. Timeless, timeless.
1: I agree. It is timeless. Like in fact, I have to. It's on my list to purchase. Is a a new vinyl. Like I wore out a vinyl record.
0: Nice. I love it.
1: So yeah, almost I timeless.
0: Just... The vinyl might be a little <laughs> timeless.
2: <laughs> the vinyl's just like enough. But <laughs>
1: yeah. oh, love it. Well, thank you. Thank you for your time today, Maram. This has been an amazing conversation.
2: Thank you. Thank you both for having me. I'm such a fan of Women who so it's, it was great to be a guest. <laughs>
1: woo
0: We appreciate you, Miram, and all the work you're doing. Um, thank you for your grace. I
2: appreciate
1: both of you. Bye. Bye. Women Who is produced by Dentsu International and available anywhere you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Who, And that's spelt at W-O-M-X-N underscore W-H-O.